Our primary reading this morning is from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 6. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, I greet all of you in the joy of just knowing Jesus the Christ. Amen to the babies in the back. <laughs> My father was a pastor and he always reminded members in his church whenever they used to grimace and look uncomfortable when babies would scream that the screams of a child were the signs of a growing church. So I'm always comforted when I hear babies in church. Certainly we thank and I thank God for your very fine pastor, the Reverend Colin Kerr, uh, who I consider a friend and a brother. I didn't realize I was the first hot take preacher, uh, but I'll wear that as a badge of honor. Uh, at this point, I kind of feel like I owe uh, Colin because when I was at the Post and Courier, uh, he was one of the sources that I could always rely on so whenever I procrastinated on a story <laughs> and my deadline was at noon and I'm writing the story at 10 a.m., I could always depend on Colin <laughs> to get back to me. Uh, but I'm certainly grateful for his friendship uh, and I'm always excited uh, for this time of year uh, to be able to come to Parkside and worship with you. Uh, I'm excited uh, that I never come alone uh, but my wife, Zariah, always comes with me. Uh, so I'm grateful for her presence. Uh, and as she has done for the past three years, uh, she tells me before I come into the sanctuary, uh, those wonderful words of encouragement, do not embarrass me. <laughs> Let us pray. Have thine own way. 
O Lord. Amen. You should never trust a preacher to give you the title of the sermon uh, any time before Sunday morning. So I'm going to tweak the title that is printed before us to this. What are the purposes of prayer? I was not the most well-behaved child. The fact that I told you I'm a preacher's kid probably gives that away. I was not the most intelligent. There were always people in my classes who were smarter than I was. I was not the most athletic. Even though I played basketball, there was always players who were better than me. But I take pride in the fact that I was a praying child. Prayer, dialogue with the divine, conversation with Christ was always something I appreciated. I, I prayed about everything growing up. I prayed that God would move my father's heart to say yes when I would go to my daddy and ask him for new shoes. I prayed that God would move the heart of the young girl in my third grade class who I liked that she would say yes when I asked her to be my girlfriend. I prayed that God would help me pass tests. I prayed that God would help me win basketball games. I prayed about everything. And I sincerely believe that God was able to hear and answer my prayers. Not all, all of my requests didn't happen, but just enough of them did to affirm my childlike suspicion that prayer is effective. As is the case for most of us, I was forced to wrestle with my theological understanding of prayer as I grew up and confronted real-life issues. You see, it's one thing to pray that God would bless you with new shoes. It's another thing to pray that God would help you pay for seminary. It's one thing to pray that God would enable you or allow you to be boyfriend and girlfriend with someone in the third grade. It's another thing to become an adult and ask God to help you navigate relationships in the real world. I was forced to graduate from kindergarten Sunday school religion to a mature Christianity and adulthood as I accepted the fact that my understanding of prayer and God's intent for prayer don't always align. Prayer is not simply a tool we use to manipulate God into giving us what we want. Though we do ask God for things and God does provide them, you can ask God for some things and still not receive them. Prayer is not a route I had to learn that will automatically excuse you from suffering. Paul prayed three times that a thorn in his flesh would be removed, and though God gave Paul his grace, he still said no to removing the thorn. Prayer is not a tool we use in communal worship just so that people know how spiritual and how religious we are. Because even Jesus cautioned his disciples against elegant prayers and encouraged them to first pray in your closet. 
So if prayer is not something we use to butter up God so that God gives us what we want, if prayer is not something we use to excuse us from suffering, if prayer is not something we use to indicate to people how religious we are, then what exactly is the purpose of prayer? What is its benefit? How can it be useful to me as I strive to live a life that is pleasing in God's sight? The book of Jonah is an interesting book to discuss the idea of prayer because Jonah isn't necessarily depicted as the most pious person, right? Like he's, he's not somebody you think of in the Bible as a role model. You know, we often think of David and Moses and Abraham and the fathers of the faith as people we look up to when we think about religious tenets. Jonah is not necessarily one of them. He's not one we see as someone who sets an example. We actually talk about Jonah when we try to tell people what not to do. When you read Jonah, readers are often left lead the text with an impression that Jonah is nothing more than a self-righteous, disobedient, cowardly prophet who refuses to share a word to the people of Nineveh. But this interpretation becomes a bit more complicated when we understand the context. We must understand that Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian monarchy, an empire that was the enemy of ancient Israel. So Jonah cannot understand how this word of repentance he's supposed to share to Nineveh can do anything good for his own people. In fact, some might argue that Jonah disobeyed God when God told him to take a word to Nineveh out of a deeper loyalty and commitment to his own people. Some argue that Jonah felt that this word of repentance would open the door to the Assyrian Empire to eventually destroy Jonah's nation-state. So in part, the conundrum that Jonah finds himself in is a difficult one. How can I be in relationship with a people who want to destroy me? How can I be called to share a word with a people who want to harm me? How can I live and be in a country where the leadership is coming after my life? In church, in my church, in Parkside perhaps, and perhaps in other churches, we come together, we assemble ourselves around like-minded individuals who we know and believe and trust have our best interests at heart. We go to church with people who believe what we believe, who think like we think, who like what we like. But when we leave the church walls, we are in, often in community with people and have to be in relationship with people who may not have our best interests at heart. We're in a country with a leadership. I wish the Supreme Court was in church this morning. Who doesn't appear to have the people's best interests at heart. Whether or not this was Jonah's chief motivation for abandoning his mission, 
makes not a whole lot of difference when it comes to the outcome of things because the fact of the matter is Jonah cannot escape God. You all know the story, I'm sure. God calls, Jonah runs, a storm endangers the lives of Jonah and the sailors on a boat because Jonah had abandoned his mission. When the sailors try to figure out why they are going through what they're going through. Jonah confesses to what he has done. He allows himself to be thrown overboard so that God calms the sea. As Jonah is thrown into the water, he is swallowed by a gigantic fish. Jonah ends up in a mess. It's a literal mess because he's in the belly of a whale sitting next to fish guts and covered by the smelly breath of a fish. It's a spiritual mess because he's wrestling with how does he do something God has called him to do when he doesn't want to do it. And it's an emotional mess because he's feeling guilty, he's feeling afraid, and he's feeling confused. His life is a mess, his emotions are a mess, his theology is a mess. Jonah is a misunderstood person in a messy situation. And it's in the mess where the text says, and then Jonah prayed. The true purpose and power of prayer is not revealed in the clean, social media posts worthy moments of our lives. But we learn the true purposes and power of prayer when our lives are the messiest. You don't know what prayer can do until you've prayed when you were in a mess. You don't know what prayer can do until you have prayed when you had no other option. Jonah's prayer accomplishes three important things that I think will be helpful for us today, and I'm going to share them with you, and then I'm going to sit down. The first thing that Jonah's prayer does, as prayer should do for all of us, is it raises his self-awareness. Jonah's prayer changed Jonah before it changed his circumstance. His prayer is not just a petition asking God to get him out of the fish, but it's actually a moment of self-reflection that allows Jonah to examine how he got in the fish in the first place. It's a moment of self-critique. It's a moment where Jonah has to accept responsibilities for his actions that led him into the fish. Because unless he changes his behavior, he can get out of the fish and just get back in it a day later. We are challenged when we pray to not just use prayer as a way to escape accountability, but when we pray, we are challenged to be held accountable for our actions, which often comes in the form of repentance. For Jonah, his prayer is a moment where he can understand that though I may not understand God's plan, it is still my desire to be within God's will wherever it might lead me. Jonah has to come to terms and understand 
that this prayer cannot excuse him for running from God. Just as when we pray, we cannot excuse ourselves for our bad behavior, but we pray so that we can sit with ourselves and ask ourselves the question, well, what exactly did I do to get myself in this mess? It's not to raise guilt. It's not to raise anxiety. But it's for you and I to do what is necessary for us to correct our behaviors and experience a new outcome. When we pray, we're looking ourselves in the mirror and we're asking God, have mercy upon us. Prayer doesn't just raise self-awareness for Jonah as it should for us, but it does something else. You probably guessed it before I started preaching. And it's that prayer deepens our relationship with God. That's the easy one. You get that one for free. (laughs) Even when we are fearful, God is still faithful. God is always faithful to listen and hear our requests even when we've gotten ourselves into messes because of our fear. If you read this prayer, you might understand that this prayer is actually a prayer of deliverance. Jonah prays a prayer that sounds as if he has already been delivered. But He's still in the fish. So what exactly is going on? It becomes clear in the scriptures, before Jonah's prayer, and in the prayer itself, that the fish swallowing Jonah was not a punishment, but it was God, God's self, who appointed a fish to swallow Jonah because the fact of the matter is he could have drowned. But God saved him. The fact that God is with you in the fish doesn't mean that deliverance is incoming. It means that deliverance has already arrived. When I pray and when you pray, your heart should become filled with gratitude, awe, and wonder as you realize that I might be in a mess, but I'm still here. I might be in a mess, but when I pray, I'm still reminded that God is still with me. I might be in a mess, but when I pray, I'm reminded that God is still able to give me clarity. I might be in a mess, but when I pray, I'm reminded that I have reassurance in the fact that in spite of all my mistakes, God didn't let me drown. Prayer connects us to a power outside of ourselves to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. 
So I went to Greenville a few weeks ago for a church conference. Conference was exciting as a church conference can be. Lord have mercy. My wife and I drove. We got back to the car, had one of those push-the-button starts. I think we all have those these days, except when I pushed the button, it didn't start. I said, the devil is busy, but I'm going to try this again. Push the button on the car. The car did not start. Didn't even want to look at my wife's face because I knew the anxiety I would get by looking at her facial expression because it's 108 degrees outside. And we are three hours from home and the car did not start. Called a friend of mine. He says, don't worry. Went to Midas. Midas came back with one of those uh, 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 power boxes, you know, that jumped the car. Look at the car battery. Anybody here know cars? Anybody here a car mechanic? I know absolutely nothing about cars, but I learned in Greenville. If you know anything about cars, you would know that when the battery becomes corroded, it disrupts the connection that keeps the car from starting. When the battery becomes corroded, the car battery, our car battery, needed a power outside of the car to power the battery and get the car moving. The reason I still believe in the power of prayer is because I understand that sometimes in life, our hearts can become so corroded by the things we go through, corroded with guilt, corroded with sin, corroded with shame, that it disrupts the connection we have to the divine and it hinders us from being able to keep moving in life. And prayer allows us to be connected to a power outside of ourselves to give us what we need to keep us moving. The reason Jonah prayed is because he had no other choice. It was that or death. As great as he might have thought he was, he did not have the power to command the fish to open its mouth. He had to rely on the one who created the fish and commands the seas. Prayer raises self-awareness. It deepens our relationship with God. But it does one more thing before I take my seat. Prayer should deepen our relationship with one another. Now here's where we learn from Jonah, but we learn what not to do. Jonah prayed for forgiveness, for mercy, and he received it. He gets out of the fish, he goes to Nineveh, and he pronounces judgment. And when God forgives the Ninevites, Jonah becomes angry with God. Although he had received forgiveness, he did not believe that the Ninevites were deserving of the same mercy and compassion that God had extended to him. But what God teaches us 
in our prayer life, in our walk with the Lord, is that God's love and grace isn't reserved for a select few, but it's available to all of those who receive it. And the purpose of prayer is not for us to just ask God for what we want so that we can have it and continue to live our lives. It's so that we can be changed, not just for our own benefit, but so that we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves. God bless you. Might you pray with me?
Are you ready, Ricky? Uh, no. <laughs> I y'all y'all sent some tough questions this morning, so I had to show him, give him some peeks, so he could kind of marinate in it. And I think um, he's a little nervous about because y'all sent some tough questions. All yeah, right, I'm used to asking questions, not answering them. <laughs> All right, it sounds like Jonah was trying to leave a situation that was potentially unhealthy for him to be in. Where do we find the line in toxic situations of staying to do God's work and leaving to protect ourselves? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. And I think the interesting thing about the book of Jonah is it leaves some of the questions kind of unanswered, right? Like there, isn't, there aren't any answers, at least the way I interpret it. So... If I'm Jonah and I'm called to proclaim repentance to a sworn enemy that I'm fearful is going to kill me, I'm probably not going. <laughs> so I'm Fair. probably going to end up in the fish as well. Yeah. Because I think the way I understand uh, the scriptures and who God to be, I don't believe that God calls us to intentionally put ourselves in harm's way. But I think the power of the story is that he still ends up in the fish. Mm. He doesn't drown as a result of him just trying to leave a toxic situation. So be not dismayed, whatever betides you, God will still take care of you. It's beautiful. All right, does prayer create a change? If God knows all and has a plan, does prayer matter or will everything happen as planned regardless? I think that's a great question. And you know, one, one point I try to emphasize in the message is, you know, that prayer has to change you, mm-hmm. right? Like prayer is not for God, it's for us. Yeah. So unless we change, nothing changes. That's extremely powerful. Thank you for that answer. All right, last question. You're nailing them so far. Oh You're my two God. for two. Last no, one. This is too much. All right. (laughs) Growing up, my mom taught me a child's prayer to say every night. And as an adult, I try to pray before I go to sleep, but sometimes I fall asleep mid-prayer. This makes me feel guilty. How do I pray better? (laughs) Pray better? Yeah, so I fall asleep often, um, you know, when I pray. Uh, But I try to also pray, like, when I'm not sleepy. So, like, I try to talk to God throughout the day. As if I'm talking to you, right? Like the way I talk to you, how, I'm talk, how I talk to Colin and my wife is how I talk to God. God, I'm going to work and I don't feel like it. Give me strength. Uh, so I try to engage uh, throughout the day. So by the time it's time to go to sleep, you know, I probably just say, good night, God, protect me, and I'm going to sleep. Because when I try to say, hey, you know, I'm going to do a long prayer right before bed, I found myself doing the same thing, falling asleep. So I freed myself from having to wait till the end of the day to pray (laughs) and try to incorporate it uh, throughout my life. That's really good advice. Thank you, Ricky. And y'all have already sent in a ton of questions. Feel free to send in a ton more, and Colin will answer them tomorrow on Facebook Live.